You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. As well. All right, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 6 this evening, as we already read, and uh, talking again, continuing our thoughts about, uh, especially specifically about the music service and the music ministry. And I want to start by saying we live in a superficial world. Is, is that, would that be true, that we live in a superficial world? Our culture is superficial. I don't feel compelled to take time to make a strong case for that, because I think we all recognize that it's true. People are famous today not for their talent or intelligence or character. They're famous because they're famous. Or they're famous because of how they look. A politician with a certain look and the right amount of charm can be elected whether or not he has any experience or leadership success. Pop stars these days don't have to sing well. I mean, most of them don't. They don't have to sing well, they just have to look a certain way. Our culture feeds on the surface. And that's what superficial means. It's, it's defined as existing at or occurring on the surface. And we are, we're quick to criticize this superficial mindset of the world in, in which we live, but we have to be careful of it ourselves. We too can be superficial. We can become super or, or, or surface level. It's a mentality that really, though, has no place in our service to God. Jesus responded much more harshly toward the Pharisees than he ever did to the open sinners because the Pharisees had a surface-level approach to serving God. Everything they did was on the externals. They, they had their externals down, but their hearts, Jesus Christ even told them, their hearts were far from him. So you, you got something that looked good, but on the inside, their heart was nowhere near the Lord. God's just not interested in us doing what we're supposed to do. He desires, and I know I've said this before, but it's something that helps me and resonates with me. God's not just interested in us doing what we're supposed to do. He's also interested, he's most interested in us being what we're supposed to be. He wants us on the internal level, on the inside to be what we're to be. And then we become doers doing what we're supposed to do. Whether we're talking about how we personally serve God or the philosophy that we have in our ministries at Eastside Baptist Church, we have to fight the urge to keep it surface level and make it something real, something with depth. And that's the thought I want to discuss tonight because I think if you're anything like me, you can get to the place where you've done something long enough that you just go through the motions. Well, I've done this long enough. I know what to do. I know how to do it. So I just kind of go through the motions. I just do what I know I'm supposed to do. And this could apply to, the, to how we teach Sunday school over here on Sunday mornings and, and how you've been teaching for a long time and you know how to, how to keep the kids quiet. Well, actually, if you do, you should write a book because people would buy that. You know how to keep the kids' attention for 40 minutes or however long you have. Sometimes it feels like four hours. But you've been doing it for so long, you, you just know what to do. You have the te- technique, you've got tactics, you can keep them busy, you can keep their attention for a certain length of time, and you just go through the motions. And we need to be careful of that because we live in a superficial culture, and so we probably would, would tend to lean toward being superficial ourselves. And that, 
it, this is, tonight is really how to keep our lives and ministries beyond the surface, deeper than the surface. That's really the principle at work, and we're just going to apply it to our music ministry. It may seem like it takes a while to get there. Can I ask you tonight um, that, this, that if you'll just pay attention, I think the concept would be essential to building a mindset as we approach the music ministry, as, as I kind of convey some things about my heart for the music ministry tonight. And as a, you know, a teacher that I had in elementary school used to tell me, uh, kids, put on your thinking caps. And Sometimes you have to decide, I'm going to put my thinking cap on, I'm going to focus and, and pay attention, because when we get to it at the end, I think it'll make sense and it'll be a help to us. We'll get to it in a little bit. I want to lay some groundwork first. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 is a foundational text to those in the Jewish religion. It's called the Shema, or it looks like Shema, S-H-E-M-A. And it is, it's the Hebrew word for the first word in verse 4, which is, look at verse 4, what's the first word? It's here. Shema, here. These verses make up the central prayer in the Jewish prayer book. This passage of scripture is very often the first text that a young Jewish child will memorize and learn. Jesus Christ himself actually referenced the Shema here in Deuteronomy 6 in Matthew 22. Tell me if you recognize these verses when he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And you read here, Hear, O Lord, or hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. So we see that there is a connection. Jesus Christ was referring, referencing this. This is the first and great commandment. Jesus looked at Deuteronomy 6 as being foundational to what I'm going to call tonight true religion. And, and I know that we kind of steer, maybe sometimes we steer away or stay away from the word religion, but there's nothing wrong with the word religion. It's a Bible word. We're told about being true religion and, and undefiled is taking care of the widows and, the, and the, the fatherless. Religion is tonight what we will refer to as our interaction, our relationship with God. Religion's not a bad thing. It's just a label that we put on our relationship with God. And I would say that this part of God's covenant to Israel is, is his way of telling them this is the essence of true religion. This is where it all starts. And a lot of times, again, we go to the surface level, we go to what people can see, and we think that our religion starts right here. That my religion starts with the suit that I put on. My religion, well, I'll think sometimes we get to thinking that my religion starts with what I'm doing at God's house on Sundays. But according to this passage, according to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, religion starts in a very different place than that. It is not surface level, and we won't have time to delve into all these verses, so I'm going to focus again tonight on verses 4 and 5. And verse 4 is interesting because it just seems maybe introductory, but it's essential to the passage. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And we say, well, I'm not really sure how that applies. Well, this passage begins with a truth about God. And that truth is that he's exclusively God. God and God alone. He is the only God. There is only one. And what I want to notice, and we'll see a, a, a progression here, is that true religion begins with the right affirmations. 
And, and actually, if it would help you to pay attention tonight and maybe to get this going, you can write these main points down because I want you to see a progression here. And that true religion begins with the right affirmations. And when I say affirmation, I say an affirmation is something that we know to be true. An affirmation is truth. We know what's true about God by reading his word. Whatever the book says about God is true. True religion begins with the knowledge we have of God, the affirmations we have about God. What does verse 4 then reveal to be true about God? Well, the Shema begins with the truth that Jehovah is their God and that he's the only God. It's a great truth. There is but one God. There is but one true living God, Jehovah. And he's the one that we worship. Hear this, O Israel, that's what he's saying. There's one God. His name is Jehovah. He is ours. He's self-existent. He's creator. He's exclusive. He is holy. He's unlike any other being in this universe that's our God. That's, where the, that's how it starts. And you know, this still applies to us that there is still one God and through Jesus Christ, he's mine. There's one God and through Jesus Christ, folks, he's yours. That same creator that we talked about this morning that wears many crowns, he's also our shepherd. Just, a, a, just an incredible thought to think a God that great would be mine. A God that great would be our God. Now, it, was, it applies to us. It was important for Moses to declare who God is before the people. He's eternal. He's all-powerful. He's a living God. This isn't some made-up God off the street. He's not the God of some religion that has many, many gods, and he's just one of many. This is the one true God, and that's important because true religion begins with the right affirmations about God. You can't have religion if you don't know about God. It begins with truth. Our relationship with him cannot begin until we know who he is. True religion, living in such a way that God is pleased, it begins with our understanding of God. So the question, my one question tonight would be, if that's true, we should be passionate about knowing God. We should be passionate about learning all we can about God. Theology is the study of God. It's a word that scares people sometimes. Theology, doctrine, those are not popular ideas these days. We live in a 2 Timothy 4 culture, which it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. It says they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. That sounds like a superficial, surface-level mindset, doesn't it? That they don't want to hear the depths. They just want to hear the stories. They just want to hear the fables. They just want to hear the surface-level stuff. Most people are looking for self-help instead of doctrine. When they come into a church, when they step into a church, even like Eastside Baptist Church, when guests come in, they've probably grown accustomed to hearing self-help on Sundays. They, 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 they expect to come in and hear how to become a better husband and a better father and a better leader and a better employee and how to make your marriage work and, and how to invest financially. I mean, and how, how our life relates to the latest Pixar movie. I don't know. What are they, I don't know what they're talking about. And, and as, as good as some of those things could be, and we all need to be better at, at our roles in life, I'm not saying that, 
But if we ever get to the place where I don't want to hear about the depths and about the truths and about the doctrines of the God that I serve, then I have become surface level. I've become superficial. And in our culture, the culture that we live in, that's what, that's what people want to hear. Uh, they want to hear the surface level, the fables. They want to just yeah, they have itching ears. They want they want it to sound good. If you ever if you've ever watched a TV preacher, I'm thinking about one down in Houston. I'm not going to do my impression. I, I don't think I'm very good at it. You know, we need to be careful. We need to be careful. That we're not buying into that mindset. And I don't want to stand up here and mock someone for, because I don't know any, I don't know him, I don't know people like that. I just know what it appears like is that it's pretty shiny. There's a lot of surface level teaching going on. And we don't want to steer away from doctrine, and we don't want to steer away from heavy hitting things. You know, this morning was, was an example of something that I don't think would be popular in the modern church culture talking about sin. Talking about how we respond to God's law that's not popular. And, and sometimes I think I, I need to do that so that Eastside Baptist Church is reminded of the anchor which, to which we need to stay attached. And that is doctrine. It's truth. And it's not always popular. And, and I don't want to run people off, but I'm telling you, we need to be careful to jump into this, this uh, category of modern religion that is superficial in nature and superficial in what it teaches, they don't re- they, many don't realize that a deeper knowledge of God through His Word is the foundation of true religion. The more we know about God uh, the, as we see Him for who He actually is, our commitment to serve and worship Him is elevated because we realize He's not some God among many. He's not just some old man in the sky. He is God and He's the only one. As I wrap my mind around that, my desire for Him is elevated Because the deeper that we understand God, the greater our desire is to follow Him. The more I understand about God, the greater my desire is to follow Him. The more I know, the more I want to know. The hungrier that we should become. So we should learn, we should seek, we should grow, we we should become familiar. There's no end to what you can learn about God. You should never get to the place where you say, I've read my Bible enough. We should always want to learn more. The great thing is, he's not like some other king or world leader. Most kings are content for you to know about them from a distance. It's amazing how many politicians these days try to hide their past. They try to hide who they really are. and They don't want you to know them because you'll see their flaws. Find that you'll find the skeletons in their closets. And they want, to, they want to be careful. But listen, here's the, the amazing thing about that. We have politicians in this country that are trying to keep things hidden. But we have a God in heaven who says, come closer. Come know me. Come be closer to me. Come, come have fellowship and have a relationship. And here's why, because he has nothing to hide. There's no skeletons in his closet. He's a holy God. He's the only one like him. And he gives us full access. I mean, it's amazing. Through Jesus Christ, that we can come boldly to our Father, that He gives us full access to Him. He's got nothing to hide. And yet here's an earthly politician who's no different than you and me, who keeps us at arm's length. Don't get too close. We don't want to put Him in danger. That God 
in heaven is our God. He wants us to know about him. He wants us to know him because to him this is personal. True religion begins with the right affirmations, what we know about God. So what we know about God is where true religion begins, but where does it end? What does it look like then in our lives? And by the way, uh, many of these thoughts are things that I've compiled as I read. And I don't want you to ever think that I'm claiming some of these original thoughts on my own. Uh, you know, I've, I've read about these things and kind of compiled them. Uh, one book that I read was by a man, man named Scott Aniel, and, and he wrote, wrote about having the right emotions, the right affections toward God, and I want to give credit where credit is due. And, and I got some of the thoughts for this from him, uh, but it's still God's truth. He didn't come, probably come up with it either. But true religion begins with the right affirmations, and true religions, re, religion results in, our right, in right actions. In the end, our affirmations, our truth affects how we live. Our relationship with God ought to affect the way we live. Uh, like we heard tonight with the song, when the world looks at me, do they see Jesus? Well, I have no way to know if they can see Jesus if I don't know what Jesus is like. So I learn what Jesus is like. I learn the affirmations. I learn the truths about God. And then I live them out. It should affect our life. Thank you for that song, Ms. Tina. When the world looks at me, do they see Jesus? It should affect us. It should, be, it should cause us to be different. You know, the context of Deuteronomy 6 is God giving the law to Israel. The law was given to affect their actions. The passage also says, love the Lord. There's a connection between love for God and our actions. If we love God, our actions will prove it. Jesus Christ said in John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. He said in 1 John 5, 2, which we'll get to eventually, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. If you love God the way that you should, it will be evident in your actions. They will reflect God. But we have to be careful not to be confused about this matter. Right actions are the result of true religion, but right actions are not all God is interested in. Yes, I mean, living a life that pleases God will result in the right actions, but I have to be careful not to assume that all it takes to please God is what I do on the outside. And here's where we start connecting to the surf, superficial, surface-level uh, introduction. In other words, I ought to live right, but I ought to live right because of my relationship with God, not in order to have a relationship with God. I ought to be who I am because I have a relationship I ought to, as we read this morning, I ought to exhibit righteousness because I am righteous, because I have a relationship with God. It starts here. It's kind of like in, in school. Always wanted to get an A on the test. I don't know if you did too. Um, some people are content to just kind of pass. Maybe you're that guy. Well, I always wanted to get an A. I didn't always get A's, but I always wanted to try to get one. So if I'm going to get an A on the test, is the only end result that I get an A and nothing else matters? Does it matter how I get the A on the test? So there's a difference. So the, these two actions could lead to the, to the same result. I could get an A, and the, and the first option is I could sneak in to the teacher's classroom when he's not or she's not in there, and I could find the answer key and read it before it comes, and then get an A on the test and ace it. Well, or the other option could be to get an A on the test. I decide I'm going to study like I ought to, and I start really early, and I put lots of time and effort in, and in the end I get an A on the test. 
The result is the same, right? But it matters how I got there. It's not just about getting an A on the test. It's about how I get an A on the test. And how does that connect to Deuteronomy? Well, true religion begins with right affirmations about God. What we know to be true about God. And true religion results in right actions before God. Let me start that again. True religion begins with right affirmations about God, what we know to be true. And true religion results in right actions before God. So it starts with what I know and it results in what I do. But don't forget, there's a key point here in the middle, and that is in Deuteronomy 6, 5, he says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Living the life God wants me to live begins with what I know about him and it results in what I do for God. But here it is. Here it comes. All kind of starts to come down to this. But the essence of my relationship with God is my affection for God. He says, love the Lord thy God. It's true that the essence of any relationship is affection. And without it, it's not really personal or personal relationship. Think about it. If all your relationships with other people were simply built on them feeling obligated to be your friend, even though they don't really like you all that much, how satisfying would that be? I read a study just this week in saying, I don't remember the exact number, but maybe 20% of millennials feel like they have no real friends. Well, no wonder, because most of their interactions with other people is through social media. It's online. And that face-to-face interaction is being lost. And young people, if you want to stand out in this culture and you want to be somebody that provides real help to your generation, uh, say, I'm going to put the social media stuff to the side and I will major on face-to-face interactions with my peers. That'll help you stand out. And it's what God intended. Nobody wants to have relationships that are, that are obligations. We should, want, we should not want to just interact with people because they feel obligated to be our friend. There's nothing satisfying about that. I don't want my children to, to, uh, to grow up thinking, well, he's my dad, I have to like him. He's my dad, I have to spend Thanksgiving with him. No, I want my children to love me. I know I'm not always lovable. I wish I was more lovable. But I want my children to love me not because of just I'm their dad, not because I gave them life, not because I put a roof over their heads, but because they love me. We all have a desire for affection, and the reason for that is because we are made in the image of God. And if if it's not satisfying to us, we can assume then, being made in God's image, that he's looking for more than obligation. He's looking more, for more than just duty from his relationships with us. We can believe all the right things intellectually about God, and we can try to do all the right things physically before God, but primary and importance to God is our affection to God. Love the Lord thy God. Jesus said in the New Testament, this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God. God is not just looking for what we know and he's, he's not just looking for what we do. Those are important, but most important to God is our love for him. But true religion, uh, it, it begins with the right affirmations 
and it ends in the right actions. But folks, listen, true religion flows from the right affections. Affirmation's what we know. Action's what we do. But affection is why we do it. That's the progress. That's the process. The word love means that true religion involves, and I know this is a scary word for conservative Baptists here today, okay? I'm just going to go ahead and say it. True religion begins and involves and is heavily leaning on emotion. Can't believe you said that in a Baptist church. God wants followers who are engaged on an emotional level. He wants us to love him. He wants our affection. He's looking for more than outward compliance. And I know he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. But God's intentions were not that his people simply perform. He wants internal attachment. And if keeping his commandments was all that mattered to him, he owes the Pharisees an apology. Because he sure did beat them, uh, uh, beat them up over their external performance. He wants us to love him. He wants our hearts to be close to him. He wants internal attachment. That's clear. We ought to strongly love God. People that subscribe to the philosophy that too much emotion, boy, we just have to be careful about that. Well, I, I, don't, I think they've got it wrong. I think it's perfectly fine to have emotion. The greatest commandment, the foundation of true religion is love. And love is action, but love is also, there's affection. There's emotion. God wants followers whose lives are driven by love. We should have and we should convey emotion. But I do want to clarify one point. And this is kind of where we get down to the application tonight. And that is this. Not all emotions are created equal. Not all emotions are created equal. We'll we'll eventually apply this to music. When it comes to our service to God, we should be engaged on an emotional level. But not all emotions are appropriate for our relationship with God. Jonathan Edwards wrote a book in the 1740s called Religious Affections. And I haven't read all of the book, but I've referenced it and looked into it. He differentiates between passions and affections. So hear me out with this. He differentiates between passions and and affections. Basically, the premise that Edwards gave and many others during that time was that passions are surface level feelings that are physical or chemical responses to stimuli. So, as an example, when someone gets embarrassed, what do they do? They blush. We had one in our family when she would get embarrassed, she would punch her sister. I don't know why. Try to get the attention off of her for just a moment. I'm not going to tell you which one, she, which one it is. Oh, she just punched her sister. So, When we get embarrassed, we blush. When we get nervous, we get butterflies in our stomach. Our stomach is in knots. I, well, maybe not. I don't know. what you're, I don't get butterflies necessarily. My stomach is in knots. When I'm scared, when I'm afraid, or I'm... I'm I'm feeling anxious or something scares me, I I get goosebumps. There are other responses to stimuli like anger. And that can happen anytime you're driving. 
There's the sexual drive. It's a physical response. There's physical appetites. Those are natural desires, but they're not appropriate responses to truth. Those should never control our lives. They're simply, it's stimulus response. Those, those Those are not affections. Those are passions. If I follow my passions, my anger will eventually lead me to sin. My physical appetites will cause me to be gluttonous or experience moral failure. Affections, on the other hand, are different than passions in that they involve the mind. Colossians 3 says, set your affections on things above. What you know to be true, set your heart on those things. The affections arise as a result of truth. They're developed over time. They're not immediate responses. It's kind of like the difference uh, when, when you first get married, and uh, some of you, maybe soon you'll be getting married, and you're not married. I'm thinking about a couple back here in the back, and I haven't officially made a public announcement. Is it still on? Okay, good. It's been a couple of weeks, and I just wanted to make sure you know, that it lasts, Okay. Josh and Mallory, they'll be, getting, they'll be getting married here before too long. It's pretty exciting. And, you know, when you first meet somebody and you first fall in love, there's, there's a lot of passion involved. And there should be. There's physical attraction and there's a lot of stimulus response. But the longer that you're married, that passion turns into something different. It's not just passion. It becomes affection. Because it's not just any longer about what you're responding to. It's that you know somebody so well that you love them on a different level than you did the day you got married. It it goes from passion to affection. It changes from stimulus response to something that you know and therefore something that you feel strongly. My love for my wife is on a totally different level than it was the day we got married. I thought I understood love back then. I've I've realized since then I understand nothing. But there is an affection there that wasn't there the day we got married. It's grown from passion to affection because passion is dependent on stimulus and response. But affection is based on what you know about somebody. Passions, affections are different than passions in that if our affections are correct, it means our minds are involved, not just our bodies. And in instances when our passions try to control us, our affections can help protect us from those natural responses. By that I mean when you have a passionate response to something, uh, your love for your wife men needs to step in. When you're tempted and your passion seems to rise up in you, your affection for your wife needs to be what corrals you and helps you. Those those affections are built on truth. It's not just stimulus response. And I know a lot of men who get in trouble in their lives because they never learn to operate on affection. They simply operate based on passion. Whatever their their stimulus is, they respond to it and that's what operates their entire life. Well, when Deuteronomy 6 and Jesus Christ commanded us to love God, it was referring not to surface level love, it was referring to a deeper love based on what we know. Our culture is so confused about love. They seem to think it's something you just fall into uh, at first glance, first sight. 
They think that it's something that's physical action between two people. And there may be emotion involved in that definition, but it's surface level. And friends, it's not appropriate for God. When Deuteronomy 6 and Matthew 22 commanded us to love God, it was based on what we know of God. As we grow in our understanding of the depths of God, we can only love Him more. The more we know Him, the more we realize that shallow passions or responses are not worthy of Him. God deserves emotion on a deeper level because of who He is. And that's why the Shema begins with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Listen here, it's almost as if Moses is saying, think about who God is. Learn more about him. Realize his power, his holiness, his majesty. Get to know him. He's your God. Now, respond with the proper affection. Not shallow emotion, not base responses. He's worth more than that. He deserves deeper emotion than common passions. He deserves affection. Serve God with emotion, affection, enjoy Him, pursue Him. Be passionate about Him, not on a surface level, but be sure that the emotions you reserve for Him are worthy of what you know of Him. He deserves a different type of emotion than we give our favorite sports teams. And I've heard that talked about a lot. Say, yeah, bless God, you'll get excited about your favorite sports team and they'll get up and yell when they score a touchdown. Why can't you get excited about God in his house? And I understand that. You ought to be more excited about God in his house than you are about football. Absolutely. But my response in a football stadium, I don't know that that's the appropriate response to truth about a holy God. I ought to be more excited. I ought to have more energy about God. But I'm not sure it should be conveyed the same way that it does when my favorite player crosses a goal line with a football in his hand. He deserves affection on a different level than to give my pet. A lot of people love their pets, don't they? But I should love God on a totally different level than I love my pet. A lot of guys in this room love their trucks. That's your baby. You've probably named it. It's okay to be thankful for what God's given you, but your affection for your, your, your car, your truck, God deserves a deeper affection than that. He deserves emotion on a different level even than you give other people in your life. Because he's God. The only God. He's your God. And he deserves love according to what you know of him. This isn't just about how much emotion we give God compared to other things. This is about the kind of emotion we give him. And here's where we can maybe start beginning to apply. God wants us to be in awe of him, but it's not the same kind of awe we express when we hold a newborn baby. I was looking at uh, the Hardy's baby this morning, and I, I, see, uh, I see the other babies that have born recently. Clancy, I was looking at him, he looks like a little man. Just fun to watch them. I'm in awe of their little, just little faces, little fingers, toes. But I should be, my awe for God is completely different than my awe for holding a baby. God wants us to have zeal for him, but it's not the same kind of zeal we express when our favorite team scores. God wants us to adore him. It's not the same kind of adoration that I show my spouse. 
Some emotions are appropriate sometimes, some are never appropriate, and some are never appropriate when we express our love for God. Not just in quantity, but in quality. The kind of emotion, I know this is a lot, hang with me here. Do we interact with God using surface level type of emotion? Our interaction with God should never be based on how we feel. It should start with what we know. Does your relationship with God depend on how you feel? Does your love for him only go to surface level? Or is it built on a deep-rooted affection based on what you know of him? How deep does your affection for him truly go? And that is where we begin then to apply it to today's modern worship music culture. On a larger scale, it's where I believe many churches have gone wrong. It's easier to manufacture surface-level passions than it is to develop knowledge-rooted affection. To change or affect a person's affections takes time, but it, it takes discipleship. It takes effort. It takes work. But to affect someone's passions, I'm talking about stimulus and response, those things are not hard to come by. So a lot of churches then have decided to skip the hard part. And they go straight to the surface level passions in order to build a crowd. Got shallow songs. Loud music. Lots of lights. Music that sounds like the modern music on the... On the top 100 billboard charts. Songs that sound like a love song for a boyfriend or girlfriend. I, was, I, just, I recently saw a new song put out by one of the most famous contemporary Christian artists. And I'm sorry if you listen to some of those folks. I think you ought to be more discerning than, than to listen to some of those folks. The song that she put out, you couldn't tell if it was a love song to her boyfriend or if it was a worship song to God. Never once used God's name. Talking about uh, being rescued and, and it could have just as easily been her boyfriend riding in on a white horse. And we ought to be careful because we live in a culture that has elevated the stimulus response. And they're simply getting a rise. They're simply getting a response and putting these things out that are on an, on a, on an a, a appropriate level, inappropriate when it comes to emotion that should be conveyed to God. In these churches, they're maybe switching to louder music to get the crowd going and rock songs that provide energy to some dead congregation. So they ditch the hymnals and they invest in fog and lights. I mean, hey, at least people are responding. Well, maybe, but they're not responding on a level that I believe God deserves. They're talking about stimulus and response. They're responding to physical and emotional stimuli. And truth about God is lost in the lights and the sound. And that mindset, it gives license to offer inappropriate emotion to God who deserves something much deeper than that. And listen, I'm not up here today questioning someone's motives, but I am questioning those methods. 
Because Eastside Baptist Church, I believe that God is worthy of more than just a stimulus and response environment. That's why we're careful not to get rid of the depth of these hymns. Because the most appropriate affections for God are born out of what we know of Him. And there's a lot of truth to be found in the lyrics of many of the songs in our hymnal as compared to what I believe many of the contemporary and modern worship music that they're producing. It gets a response. But emotion not based on truth is surface level living. Be careful though. Because we can be just as guilty sometimes. Sometimes I find it interesting that the best responses in our services uh, can be to the biggest or loudest songs. Or to the songs that are a certain style that we we prefer. And sometimes maybe we'll turn the switch off if it's not maybe singing a hymn that doesn't have as much energy or isn't our favorite. Well, it should always start with truth. Is the truth of that song worthy of my, of my uh, affection? Is it worthy of my interaction? I, I think it's telling that very often in a lot, of, a lot of churches, Baptist churches, and even in ours sometimes, and I'm not saying it's a terrible thing, but sometimes in a song, the loudest amen comes during a key change. So you think about that. Uh, it's, it's hard not to get excited at that point. It's a key change. You feel the music building, but, it's, but the amen is not necessarily in response to truth in that chorus, because that same truth has probably already been said. It's response to the music. And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't use music with key changes. That's not it at all. I'm just saying that we ought to be careful as a church to have an environment in which it's about stimulus and response. The loudest amens you can say amen at a key change. It's fine. Say amen. But you shouldn't only say amen at key changes. You should also say amen when there's a truth in that song that grips your heart. And it turns your affection to the God who has given you everything. God and God alone. God and God alone is fit to take the universe's throne. Amen. Let everything that lives reserve its truest praise for God and God alone. Amen. That's that's not just stimulus and and response. That is truth that deserves our affection. And it deserves a response, but not just based on a stimulus level. It deserves our response because of how true and how real and how genuine and how how exciting and, and lofty that truth is. Don't be guilty of subjecting your worship of God to surface level passions. We can be just as guilty. Well, it's not really the kind of music I like. No, well, we all have different tastes. We all have different preferences. Well, what I would like for you to do, what we all need to do as mature Christians, is you know, is it true? And is that truth valid? And has that truth affected me? And if it has, whether or not it's my favorite song or, or my favorite style then I ought to be responsive to that. I'm not saying you have to be the loudest ameneer in the room. I'm saying that it should move you. It should affect you. Affections. Having the proper affection toward God is central to living a life that pleases Him. He doesn't want robots. He wants love. That's amazing. I can't believe that a God as high as Him would even care that I love him. 
But what he says in Deuteronomy, what Moses wrote and what Jesus said is, love is at the very center of true religion. In other words, if I don't have anything else but I love God like I'm supposed to, then I'm pretty much set. All those other things are going to come in line. God doesn't want robots. He wants love. He doesn't want routines. He wants relationships. He doesn't want obligation. He wants connection. Like all of us. So, tonight, have affection toward God. Don't be scared of emotion. Show Him affection. Show Him some emotion. Is He worthy? Has He done enough for you for you to respond verbally in a service? Has he done enough for you to respond with real emotion? Whether or not you say it, is, does it move you? Does the truth come across? Don't be scared of emotion. It's the central task required of his disciples to love him. And actually, your strongest emotions should be toward God. But in order for it to be right, it must be established on what you know about him. So, determine to know him more. You say, well, my affection just hasn't been very strong lately and, and I'm just not being fed and, and things just aren't the way I prefer them. No, if you want to increase your level of affection, then you need to decide to dig deeper and increase your level of knowledge because it begins with the right affirmations. It ends with the right actions, but right there in the middle, that connector is that it flows from the right affections. What do you know of God? Are you pursuing more knowledge of him? Your your affection for him will only grow higher as your knowledge of him grows deeper. So how does your affection for God compare to your passion for other things? What gets most of your attention? What gets most of your time? What do you think about the most? Are there things in your life that have risen above your love for God? It's easy to do. Do you approach worship out of true affection? When we, when we stand here and we open the hymnal and we sing on Sundays, are you thinking about your love for God? Are you thinking about how you could convey your love to God? Because true religion, he's not interested in outward stuff. He's not interested in the superficial. He wants his, our religion, our interaction with him to flow out of love, out of affection. And I think sometimes, you know, we've stood here with hymnals so many times in our lives that I think sometimes it's surface level because our heart's not really in it. And all the while, God is saying, involve your heart. Involve your affection. Involve your emotion. Don't just stand and sing. Don't just stand up in the choir and and sing notes. Think about these truths. Let these truths affect you. Sing from a heart of emotion, it's fine. Because what God has done for us, folks, what God has done for us deserves my absolute highest level of emotion. I'm not in any way saying don't be emotional. I'm saying that, that only the best emotions are what God deserves. So are there things in your life that you're passionate about more than your affection for God? Because you're, the whole essence of your interaction and relationship with God comes down to this. Love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Is that how strongly 
you love God? Does your religion start with what you know and end with what you, your action but flow out of what you love? That's the process. And I think it's helpful to stop and just analyze Shema, the central prayer to the Jewish religion, because God had it right back then. He said, this is the process. It's what you know, it ends with what you do, but it flows out of what you love. And that even affects our music services here at Eastside Baptist Church. Let's stand. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.